electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations this morning as markets and American business uh, try to reckon with the wake-up call that this weekend of national trauma has delivered. Multiple crises in play, global health, unemployment, and racial inequality. Futures are fairly flat, as is oil. Uh, Jim, it's been a remarkable morning of uh, commentary from lots of different companies, Facebook, Apple, uh, BlackRock over the weekend. And then, as you said a moment ago, Ken Frazier on Squawk Box uh, just a few moments ago. Take a listen to this. When there's unrest, people put out statements. They put out platitudes. They say this is terrible. We decry racism. Uh, we believe that we ought to build a just society. I think business has to go beyond what is required here. Before the pandemic, there was some, something like 12 million unfilled jobs in this country. And there are 5 million inner city and other African-American uh, kids who want access to the economy. They want to be participants. They want to be citizens. They want to be consumers. What they lack is the education. They lack the training. And there are opportunities for programs like this. Yeah, uh, you can't so We're going to watch the markets, but... What a hero. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about how American business, how the corporate sector tries to heal... Uh, this country that's obviously broken. You're, you're, Carl, you're sorry. I mean, it is the corporate sector. I mean, I think it's some of us would say, well, uh, other than the Atlanta mayor who gave such a tremendous speech, and we're looking for leadership. Maybe we find it more in corporate or maybe because we're on CNBC. I reminded that Ginny Rometty built uh, her legacy on the 200,000 people in under uh, underprivileged neighborhoods where she created low, you know, low income, low opportunity neighborhoods where uh, she built schools, basically built programs called P-TECH uh, to teach people how to be part of the new uh, white, new collar economy, she called it. And it's inspirational. And yet it, it happened. OK, it just happened. And then that was it. Now, it's got to be furthered. I mean, I know that there's a legacy and they've had new people, new people, new. But when you listen to what Ken is saying, this has to be a national initiative. Uh, now, there are they're in Chicago, they're in Baltimore, they're in. Uh, Newberg. I mention only because there are very few executives who devote the time and the money that Ginny did to make sure that IBM's legacy was helping these inner city areas. And I listened to Ken Frazier from the great city of Philadelphia, who uh, grew up not far from me and, uh, and all that he has on his mind. And I think Wow, what do I have on my mind? Well, you know, look, I, my job is to talk about whether Merck's, what Merck stock should be, but we have to be bigger than that. Uh, all of us have to be reminded of the role we can play. I, I mean, you and I and David, we talk about that. We don't want to be pigeonholed, but at the same time, we, we have a role to play that is um, that has to include this. How about that? That has to include this thinking. Yeah. um, You know, it's interesting, guys, when you do look at corporate America in terms of the pandemic, 
where, again, I think there's an argument to be made that there was a lack of broad leadership nationally. Uh, a lot of corporations did take the lead and continue to in terms of their response, in terms of the protocols and practices they're putting in place to respond appropriately and effectively uh, in their workplaces and with their workforce. But it was also interesting to listen to Mr. Frazier, uh, Jim, when he said, you know, it's great. You can read Tim Cook's letter. You can read Larry Fink's letter. You can read uh, on and on uh, the, the letters from corporate leaders. Uh, but the question is, will they follow through? Will there be some sort of follow through that is more meaningful than simply words on a page? Yeah, I think that your hope is, is that you don't get this, these one off statements uh, and, that, and that we start to integrate how it can be, uh, how... This can be part of all of our thinking. I think our, our difficulty is that it, it's so it is so one off. It, it's not. But business has been trying. And I think that business has tried to equalize where it can opportunity. And a lot of the leaders I look at are business people who uh, I find inspirational and are doing things that, that do matter. But there, it took these events to put them front and center as opposed to something that's at the end of the interview. It's difficult. How about the Fed, Jim? Uh, You know, we heard from Powell last week. uh, Pre-COVID, I mean, he made a real point of emphasizing the benefits that the roaring economy at the time was bringing to lower-income neighborhoods. He took the Fed roadshow uh, to Alabama and areas of the Deep South where hopefully these things were beginning to bear some fruit. Uh, But then you listen to El Arian and... Talk about some of the negative externalities of their participation now, the growth in money supply, the obvious areas where all those assets are going to go. It's not going to go into inner cities. It's going to go into into stocks and obviously corporate debt. Those, all those businesses were not were deemed non-essential businesses. Like, so many of the smaller inner city in, in uh, more troubled neighborhoods, their companies were told to close. But they didn't tell Walmart to close and they didn't tell uh, other large. It's not, of course, it's not Target's gain that they did it. I mean, it's happened to be that that was deemed essential. And we, we had this in New Jersey. So many small businesses were deemed you know, non-essential. And, and they're the ones whose rent's coming up this weekend. They can't pay their rent. And, uh, I just feel like that this became even more two societies, two societies, because we really did deem certain companies to survive, uh, and we deemed certain companies not to survive. And it happened to be a lot of the uh, inner-city neighborhoods, the companies were deemed non-essential. And it turned out to be a, a much more of an economic issue than we realized. Now we look at it and we say, holy cow, we, our, our governments put these companies out of business. And what did it accomplish? And it's not really clear what it accomplished. I don't think anyone, especially out of New York City and New Jersey, knows it accomplished anything but wiped out a lot of small businesses. And I think that that's the legacy of it for a lot of people. I don't know, David, I mean, when you get outside the New York, New Jersey area, there's a lot of people who say, well, why did you wipe out our stores? Yeah, I mean, that has been it's been a a tale of two cities in so many different ways in dealing with the pandemic, as you point out, Jim, including, of course, the geographic dispersion of cases. And we're watching still closely in terms of resurgence or lack thereof. And those questions continue as well. Why was there a lockdown for so long? Why did you close down these businesses that potentially are not going to be in a position to reopen, given we never saw what other parts of the country did? 
Um, it's very unfortunate where we find ourselves today. I think, guys, we can sort of all agree in terms of the pandemic and in terms of the divisiveness within, the, within our society and in, uh, in the country right now. Of course, what that actually means for the stock market also adds to this conversation because we have seen this divergence between the performance of the stock market uh, and the economic and social unrest in the country. Yeah, but like the, more, the, the ethos of what happened this weekend and have happened uh, ever since the tragedy in, in Minneapolis had led me to believe that there are people who want the stock market down just for the sake of... Uh, of reverence and, and for the sake of of understanding the pain in the country, um, that that's not what it does. I mean, now you could say, well, listen, what it does is think forward. But the fact is, no, it just it isn't anything that has a heartbeat and it's not something that has a brain. It's just a group of companies. And what are you going to tell tell the people who are buying beyond me today? Don't you understand the problems in our country? I mean, it, it just never not only be too much of a dollar sign represented by a man, but you, you, you can't relate the stocks I have in front of me. Estee Lauder, am I supposed to say, I'm not going to buy Estee Lauder just because skin care is good because I know the troubles in America. It, it, they don't relate. And those who want it to relate are missing what's really going on. We're looking at companies building value. We're not looking at the government uh, making some companies not do well. And the fact that when I look at a lot of these companies, I think, wow, their value increased. I have Ulta on tonight. Did Ulta's value increase because the smaller people who compete, say, in hairdressing, compete in makeup, they were deemed not essential, could not w- stay in business while Ulta had enough of a balance sheet to do so. But it's not Mary Dillon's fault that she's conserved cash and done a good job. It's Mary Dillon's gain <laughs> for all the people who work at Ulta. So... I think that yeah. it's 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 difficult to reconcile until you realize that these people are trying to build businesses and hire people. Yep. And, we, and we've been here before, uh, Jim, where we're trying to do both, uh, trying to uh, look at corporate America's response to social unrest and unease while trying to do what I guess you'd call our day jobs. And that is to monitor stocks. Your point about retailer, though, uh, is a good one, because now the process of reopening has been delayed in a lot of cases. Right. Our Courtney Reagan has more on that this morning. Good morning, Court. Hi, good morning to you, Carl. Yeah, you know, obviously many of these retailers were damaged and looted because of the unrest that ultimately turned violence over the weekend. And it comes at a very unfortunate timing as many of them are just trying to reopen their doors after being closed because of the COVID-19 crisis. The Target store on Lake Street in Lake, Lake Street in Minneapolis is near where George Floyd was killed. That remains closed along with five other stores until further notice. The Associates at Closed stores will be given pay and benefits for about two weeks and will be able to work at other locations if they choose. And a blog post targets CEO Brian Cornell said in part the murder of George Floyd has unleashed the pent up pain of years, as have the killings of Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor. The Grove Mall in Los, An- in Los Angeles also su- sustained significant damage and looting, including the Nordstrom store there. The department store's flagship store in Seattle also damaged. Nordstrom has closed all stores. 
as of yesterday, with the hopes of reopening as soon as possible. CEO and President Eric and Pete Nordstrom putting out a statement saying, in part, like so many of you, we have deeply been saddened and angered by the recent events in our country. The senseless deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and too many others reflect the deeply ingrained racial prejudice and injustice that still exists in our communities today. Walmart had also closed several hundred stores, though that was mostly as a precaution, as many of those stores were not located in the city centers where many of the demonstrations and political unrest and violence ultimately took place. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan did say in a statement, at a time in at a time when our response to the COVID-19 crisis has brought out the best in us, what took place earlier this week is further proof we must remain vigilant and standing together against racism and discrimination. And of course, many more retailers are still working through what damage has actually been done and if stores are able to reopen and when. So we'll bring you those updates when we have them. Carl, back over to you. Uh, Court, I guess the other point is that a lot of these protests uh, did sort of blow up and blow in the out of the water a lot of these shelter and home mandates that have been used that we've been using to mitigate uh, the spread of the disease. That in itself might also cause some businesses uh, prevent them from reopening in future weeks. Absolutely. And that has been such a concern of so many businesses, but of course, retailers in particular, because that has been a business, if you're non-essential, of course, where you have been required to close stores. And really the worst nightmare is to reopen stores, to have a reflare up or a reflare up of any kind. In this case, uh, if you're talking about just people gathering together for whatever the reason, that could just continue to cause significant damage. And remember, Carl, a number of these retailers did file for bankruptcy during the COVID-19 crisis with plans to close doors, basically reopen them in order to close them. And if they've sustained damage during some of this unrest, that's just going to be sort of a one-two punch for many of these retailers that were already struggling through this. Courtney Reagan, we'll talk to you in a little while. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Thank you for that uh, check on retail. When we come back after a break, uh, we got to get to China. Some reports this morning that China has asked some of its state-owned entities to halt the purchase of soybeans and pork from the United States. Of course, China was a big story on Friday afternoon. We'll get ISM today uh, set up for a busy week with a jobs number on Friday. Back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Futures slightly lower this morning, although off of the overnight lows. Jim, I don't know whether you wanted to dive into the basket of uh, China news and some of these uh, heightened tensions or the medical news that we continue to get from the likes of Lilly uh, and Regeneron. Well, Eunice, you and, uh, and Brian Sullivan had an unbelievable discussion this morning about how the, the PRC is using our uh, unrest in our country as a way to be able to say, hey, listen, you're pot calling the kettle when it comes to Hong Kong. And I don't know what, who that is directly designed to appeal to, but it is kind of harsh to see our I've, the coal board just accelerates at every turn. And to not you mentioned the beef and pork, but you know, we are really very much in the Soviet Union, United States state right now. And to watch it happen so quickly is to remind us that 
uh, the Cold War was not a great thing for business. It was about ideology and it was about trying to win over countries. And it was something that when the war, came, the war came down, we realized it was going to be a peace dividend. Well, we're so far from peace dividend. And I think that we have to keep track of this because there was a time when the reason why we wanted China's door to be open was because we thought we'd sell more to them. And that's off the table. It's just off the table, even though yeah. there's still companies like a Procter doing well. The idea that we're going to do more business is just, I think, over. And not to forget, of course, Jim, when the Cold War was was going on between the U.S. and Russia, Russia was not the second largest economy in the world. Right. Nipping at the heels of the U.S. Nothing like that. This is a competition between number one and number two in terms of the economies in the world. And as you say, uh, doesn't seem to be going in anything but opposite directions right now in terms of any level of cooperation, whether it's supply chains changing and changing dramatically uh, for U.S. companies uh, or global companies uh, and on and on, including, of course, now tariffs potentially going to be placed on anything being exported out of Hong Kong, which had special status. Uh, I don't know where it ends up, Jim, and I know you've been a proponent of being very tough on China. But during this period of time, one would imagine it's not the best of times to be having a cold economic war. I I totally agree. I've been saying and I know that there are people who follow me in Washington think, well, what the hell is he doing? Is he switching direction? We have a huge unemployment problem in this country. And I think that sometimes you have to say, you know what? We got to get the working person having a job. This is not the time to make it so that we question whether the Chinese might move into Taiwan, which is where, of course, uh, all all the semiconductor foundries are that we use. It's a time to look inward. Uh, And and I think that what's happened with Minneapolis, it's doubled down looking inward. And the idea that this is the time to really say, you know what, to call out the Chinese, the Chinese are trying to ring fence us. Uh, they're trying to say, hey, listen, you know, you think that we're they're the great bastion of freedom. We'll look in their cities. Uh, so, I mean, this kind of tit for tat is an opposite of what I was hoping would happen to create jobs here, which is really what matters. I was I struck, Jim, uh, J.P. Morgan had a screen last week of uh, names where high percentage of revenue comes from China, but option protection was liquid and cheap. And obviously names like Apple and Nike were on that list. Is that uh, are those kinds of screens uh, what you're going to be looking at in the weeks to come? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that Nike sales have been fabulous there and Apple sales have been fabulous. Nike, you want to see Nike, you want to see Starbucks, Apple, all of these companies have a very good relationship with the PRC. But I think you got to step back and say our companies are not sellouts. Our companies are doing what was supposed to be great. For the last 40, ever since Nixon opened China, what you're supposed to be doing is exactly what Apple and Nike and Procter and Starbucks have done. And suddenly it's in question. And I think that's a shame because the businesses were really a great bridge between our two fabulous countries. And I still think that it could be the people are fabulous. It's the government that's the issue. All right. Another quick break, guys, and a lot more of Squawk on the Street after this uh, short commercial interruption. Don't go away. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. 
For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Stocks and investors being asked to process an awful lot today. Uh, COVID-19 and the continued reopening of the economy, a China trade war that's reigniting, and of course, civil unrest in response to police brutality and racial inequality. Futures are weak on this Monday morning. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Time to get in a mad dash before we get you to an opening bell about six minutes from now. We were just talking about China, Jim, and I know Yum China is one of the names that's caught your attention, along with Beyond Meat this morning. Right. Yum China, of course, split off from Yum. And a Yum China is introducing, I think it's very progressive here, for a limited time only, a Beyond Burger at all of their stores, at KFC, at Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. This starts January, uh, starts June 3rd. i got to tell you, if this is a success, then this is going to be the next level that Ethan Brown's been talking about. He's the CSO, CFO, <laughs> CEO, I'm sorry. What he's been saying, he was on, uh, uh, on my show, Mad Money, recently. Here's what he said. He made the point that there's going to be a number of very big investments in the company and partnerships. And of course, there's one with Starbucks, too. But at a time when there is a meat shortage, at a time when people do not trust the food chain, this is the era for Beyond Meat. So I think the idea that this stock should be up is correct. Now, there are a lot of people say it's very overvalued. This, like a number of other stocks, whether it be DraftKings, whether it be Tesla, whatever, they've really caught fire. And a lot of them about younger people, uh, younger people like the Robin Hood cohort, which are really looking for ideas, not looking for indexing. This is a very important, uh, very, very important rollout, because if it's successful, I think it's going to roll out all over the world. Well, uh do they have the capacity to, to meet that kind of potential demand? I know it's a high-class problem. It, it, it's a great question because Ethan is often talked about, don't worry about us. As a matter of fact, what he's trying to do is put out so much product as to undercut the price of beef right now because he knows that people don't trust the beef chain in uh, America. So it, I think the instincts uh, that you have are, can he really deliver? But he's telling me, we can flood the zone. Um, he feels that it, this is the time to take it to Tyson. Uh, he'll tell you that. And, and maybe it's the time to take it to the food chain in China. Remember, there are a lot of people in China that don't trust the food chain. So uh, beyond meat, and when you talk to a Corteva, when you talk to any of the seed companies, they know that, look, this is everybody's opportunity when it comes to plant-based. I, I think there are a lot of people who have had, uh, I eat beyond, beyond meat all the time, it, tastes fine. And I know people say, well, have you ever looked at the long list of chemicals? All I know, it doesn't have any cow, of which if Ethan Brown would tell you, the cow's a nasty distribution of protein. Uh, But if you want the protein, you go right to plant. Right. 
Right. But it's not necessarily about health as much as it's about um, planetary concerns. Yes. I think people yes. who are who are aficionados of the brand. Right. And there are yeah. people who say, listen, if we want to preserve the plant, I mean, preserve the planet, we must eat the plant. And I, I'm, I'm not against that view, but my view doesn't matter. It's the younger people who really do believe in this, the, this process. It'll go up in this environment, believe me. Carl, we, uh, we're getting ready for a market open this morning, of course, after uh, what was a relatively good week last week, if I recall. Of course, it's hard to keep track. That yeah. One day bleeds into the next. <laughs> and every day uh, feels like a, a lifetime. Uh, no, guys, it's, it's true. Uh, coming off two monumental months of gains, the S&P is about 10% below its all-time high. Uh, NASDAQ, obviously, a lot closer to its all-time high. Uh, Jim, uh, Cashin's out this morning saying the bulls really dodged a bullet on Friday. You saw the market sort of roll over a bit going into the president's appearance in the Rose Garden. Who knew what he was going to say regarding China? And then um, he says that uh, the response was more muted than some had assumed. Yeah, look, I, I, I listened to that speech and it was very statesmanlike. It was not how we're going to teach him a lesson. Uh, I felt that the Chinese, therefore, are going to have to come up with something that is still strong, tit for tat. I did not realize that they would use the ammo of Minneapolis as the challenge. I wonder how the president responds, knowing that uh, the Chinese are appealing directly to the people of the United States and around the world to uh, kind of disintermediate the president. I wonder whether he's just okay with that. Or whether he feels like, wait a second, let's talk about the years of freedom in our country versus the years of repression in theirs. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't do that, but he's been quiet. He's been very quiet. So do you think of the three big um, things we have to juggle, the trade war, uh, the reopening and the mitigation of the pandemic and the civil unrest, what is the market truly pivoting around? Well, I would have thought... I think it's about the reopening uh, and to see how that goes, whether the protests make the reopening uh, delayed uh, would be terrible. But I do think that I understand the protesters and I'm sympathetic with anyone who's a peaceful, safe protester. But I thought we'd come in and this is the beginning of when we start seeing more economic activity. You want to see you want to see unemployment go down. And I think the only reason we can have unemployment go down is to reopen and to reopen in a way that makes it so that the jobs come back. And I look at the area that I, I live in in Brooklyn, and that's, you know, there's a protest on our street where my bar is. And it, it's kind of um, antithetical toward wanting to open up a, a small business. And I, I imagine when I see the protest, that's all over the country. But we got to get those businesses open, small business, much open because the money's going to run out soon. And we got rent due. Everybody's got rent due. And I know you. your first two months you said, all right, hey, listen, they got my deposit. I'm OK. I mean, this is the month where they come after you. And I think that this is the month where you got to have cash come in. So that was what I'm, I'm still looking at. I, I'm totally conscious that, the, that my heart is with anyone who protests peacefully because there seems such uh, the inequalities are pointed out once again to all of us, which is necessary. But I, you know, this was supposed to be the week that we found out how potent America really is when it comes to business. And I hope that doesn't go away. Hmm. 
Meanwhile, Jim, we're going to watch Amazon uh, today. News on multiple fronts. Uh, one is that uh, Morgan Stanley goes to 2,800. They raised huh. their GMV estimate to 34 year on year. They did say that some shipments are being delayed in some select cities uh, because of uh, uh, because of the civil unrest. And then this shelf offering, Jim, uh, multi part, which is sort of raising eyebrows today. Look, I think that Amazon ha- has. I mean, all that seems to happen. Is they just get stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, this, does anyone remember when this company was a bad credit? I mean, you really felt that the one thing you would never do is give them money. They were just the wildest HYG, so to speak, the, the one that is that truly cannot raise money. And, and, and that the question would be when the capital markets are shut out. I mean, three year plus 40. Uh, uh, this is the maybe this is one of those credits. It's almost like Apple. And I think that anytime you give them more money, all it does is make them expand and expand. This is their period. I mean, let's just face it. You see it in front of everybody's door. They're all they've got the Amazon box. They want to keep it out there 24 hours. So it's even more visible. But it is uh, it, it is their time. And so why not bulk up, spend more money, four billion dollars on safety? Uh, yes, there are going to be some routes right. that are going to be not great, but. Oh, boy, this makes you even more want to stay in your house. Yeah, well, you point out the $4 billion number, which, of course, they shared with us the last time the company reported earnings. It's a large number. There's a lot that they need to do. There has been some unrest uh, in some of their facilities in terms of the level of people who've gotten sick uh, and or the company's response, Jim, as you know. Uh, And there was a period there where they were... Unable to fulfill requests, of course, given that every day suddenly became like Black Monday for them. Um, But uh, that said, uh, they're not going to have any trouble raising capital in any form they might choose. Of course, the shelf registration, for those who are unaware, gives them the opportunity to raise uh, debt very quickly because it's on the shelf. So so they've already registered, uh, but they haven't yet decided in what form, if any, they're going to actually take advantage of the capital market's largesse. No, but one of the things that's incredible, I mean, I was across the street from this in, in parking lot of the supermarket and I told my wife, you want me to go in and get this stuff? She goes, oh, come on. That's not what you want to do. It's the racetrack. You need the mask. Let's just go home and order on Amazon. Is there anything you really need today? And be like, no. Or you could do a Target. I know that Target's been targeted. But, yeah. I mean, she just said, listen, I said I need vitamin D. And she said, how many days do you have of vitamin D? I said, I got five days of vitamin D. She goes, well, you go on Amazon. You don't go into a store to get vitamin D. And I said, think about that. Three months ago, right in front of the supermarket. Are you kidding? But now it's like, yeah, you're right. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I was almost going to go in the supermarket. I mean, like out of my mind. So, I mean, the world has changed. And again, it just keeps changing in Amazon's favor. Uh, it, there's a level of a lack of safety that you feel in places that you always felt safe. It's the way it is. That's why Costco yeah, la- went all man. Yeah. I'm laughing because... We're laughing, Jim, because a lot of households, I think, are having that exact conversation, the sort of game theory of how badly do you need the good to do the risk of going out versus ordering in. Uh, It's sort of where all of our heads are right now. What do you think is happening with semis today, Uh, leading uh, the broader market lower? Uh, Some incremental news about the Industry Association uh, starting to gear up, asking for support if, in fact, they're really going to start bringing some supply chains back home a la Taiwan. 
I thought it was really unbelievable the guts of this industry. We got incredible tax breaks, right? Every one of these companies got great tax breaks. So now they want more tax breaks in order to be able to build foundries. And they're, they're making fortunes. And I thought this was unfortunate. I think that uh, when we look at what they've gotten and how well they've done and they've been leaders in the stock market, do they really need a handout from the government? To build foundries? And yes, if the government decides that it's going to make Taiwan the issue and the Chinese are going to retake Taiwan, which would really be amazing. That's not a Cold War anymore. Uh, then maybe we would need to have foundries that was built with tremendous uh, capital equipment that we all make here. But I, I thought that was um, greedy. I thought it was greedy that the, the Industry Association wants more money. This is not the time for the government to give money to the industry that is, that is incredibly lucrative and hitting the new highs. But that's kind of yeah. like, the op- that's like the opposite of Minnesota. That's not who the money should go uh, but to. You know, we're still trying to figure out the impact of uh, various restrictions on Huawei. Remember, it's not just chip sales to Huawei. It's if you're a manufacturer using U.S. equipment to make your chips, you can't sell to Huawei. And then there's Taiwan Semi. You mentioned Taiwan with that plan to open that plant in Arizona. Won't create that many jobs, but it's a pretty big investment. Not completely clear exactly how much aid is being uh, given there, Jim. And then Taiwan Semi, one of their biggest customers, it's Apple and Huawei are their two largest customers. Taiwan Semi is the best so semiconductor. I, I, I still, <laughs> they're the best in the I'm world. Still trying Taiwan to figure that Semi. one out. How could they not get? How could they not get exempted from the Huawei ban? They're coming here and building a big plant in Arizona. It doesn't all add up. But you're right. It's there's a lot going on in that industry. Again, in the over with the overarching theme of China versus U.S. There, uh, right. At this point, there's some great American companies who, when you talk to, you say, uh, what, are you, uh, "What are you allowed to do with Huawei?" And they say, "Well, I, I don't know. I, what do you think?" And I said, "Well, what do right. I know?" He said, "No, I mean, what are they thinking? You think in Washington, like, uh, what's Navarro thinking?" It's like, well, I don't know. I said, well, well yeah, you got to find what Navarro's thinking. I mean, we, we have these people in Washington who are they don't realize how powerful they are. They really don't understand their power. And right now, there's a lot of American companies that are trying to figure out who they can sell to, given the fact that Huawei was the best client of everybody. And does Huawei, how about the Huawei non-military? Uh, how about the Huawei cell phone uh, handset? So no one really has a good idea. And I think instead what happens is people just pull back the reins. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's just a shame. Uh, no one really knows what yeah. to do. Well, we me, need clarity from Washington. Me, I know. Meanwhile, Huawei, I think Carl is, uh, has got what two years worth of chips already on hand to, to weather any potential uh, shortfall that it might have. So they've been preparing for whatever's coming their way for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, relationships in Europe that uh, you might argue are stronger than the U.S. would like. Uh, it was hard not right. to notice Merkel guys uh, rebuffing uh, the president's uh, invite to a G7 uh, later on this summer. So there's a lot to watch there. Jim, I want to quickly touch on travel, uh, specifically airlines, because United's bringing some more flights uh, transatlantic. You had uh, Delta working with its pilots union to avoid some furloughs. And then you had Gary Kelly of Southwest saying that the fair war that we're about to witness as everyone tries to clamor for passengers, in his words, is going to be brutal. Brutal going into the summer. I never bet bet against Gary Kelly. I do know that people are flying again. Uh, I think they're flying in, uh, let's say, not in numbers that you would be uh, being drawn to by lower 
by lower fares. I think they're flying because the people are just more confident that uh, that COVID is not as everywhere. Now, I, I listened to Dr. Gottlieb today. Dr. Gottlieb, actually, I don't know if he meant to reassure us. He's on every morning. He's amazing. But I felt that he was saying, listen, you know, if you're the regions that are OK. And uh, and I think that the South, where Southwest Air is really doing so, uh, doing well relatively, it seems like they're more inclined to fly. Uh, I know that not a lot of when I look at American air today, that's doing well. United's doing well. The, the market leaders, with the exception of Gap, which was an upgrade by Matthew Boss over at, at J.P. Morgan, the market leaders are indeed the airlines. So, I mean, I think people feel emboldened. And then Carnival, which is doubled from that bottom Royal Caribbean. You can't seem to stop that one. And yet because they're so so far from their highs. Did Warren Buffett close the bottom in this group, in this airline group? <laughs> He really did sell them pretty yeah. badly, you know. He might have. Well, he's, yeah, um, these are, they're guys, be- be- for him. Yeah. Before we get to Bob on the broader market, a couple of quick names to also hit. Cody is up about 13% this morning. You may remember at the beginning of, uh, towards the beginning of May, uh, the, co- the company announced that deal with KKR, but they hadn't actually signed the definitive agreement. It is now a done deal. Uh, KKR making a billion dollar investment to Cody. That's via convertible preferred shares. That's a 9% coupon. And uh, as well, the conversion premium is six or 20%, $6.24. Now, remember when the deal got announced, Cody stock was uh, as high as $5.20. It went straight down. Uh, mm-hmm. You can see what it's doing there. But it went straight down after that deal uh, and has come back a bit today. Peter Harf, the guy who runs, uh, well, oversees JAB, is actually coming back. He's the chairman, but he's coming back as Cody's CEO. Remember, KKR is making this majority investment in the Wella brands. Those are the professional hairdressing brand, uh, hairdresser brands uh, and, uh, um, and others for $4.3 billion. That's cash, about 12.3 times the company's adjusted EBITDA from last year of $350 million. Um, but they're, you know, they've delevered, they got their balance sheet in shape. And now the question, Jim, is whether they can get their business in the right place. Uh, at the end here of all of this, uh, JB will still own, I think it's 50% of the company. Uh, and KKR will be the second largest investor at about 17% Were you of, again, the did, businesses that are remaining. But they didn't bring anyone in from the outside. I thought they would, well, he's, he's 74, yeah. Peter, and... Uh, obviously, they have tremendous faith in him, but I would have hoped that they could bring in some sort of rock star uh, from Proctor, or, uh, from uh, from Ulta. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just, I fear it's more of the same. Yeah, uh, that may is may very well be the case. However, he's a pretty well respected guy being you know one of the founders of J.B., Right. Which, of course, remember, they got the Pete's Coffee. They've got so many different things going on at J. They've got a lot of things uh, going on. hundred billion of assets. Yeah. Look, someone upgraded. I forget which firm upgraded uh, Keurig today. And I, I think Keurig's a pretty good situation. Yep. Uh, I do think that Keurig's got a lot of moving parts. But you're right, David. I mean, I, that J&B is to be reckoned with. And this is one, you know, the free cash flow is always great at these places. They're always delevering. And I don't know. I mean, Cody is a spec. I just find that that industry has yeah. got vicious competitors and they don't want Cody to win. Yeah, you're right, Jim. Evercore uh, took it to outperform this morning. Um, let's get to Rick Santelli. Got a couple of big pieces of data coming up in the next 15 minutes, including PMI in just about a minute and a half. Hey, Rick. 
guess. Uh, uh, we have market coming up. Remember, that series of data points started in 2017. The much bigger data point will be coming top of the hour ISM. You know, the long end of the market's where all the action has been, 10s and 30s. And it's not just domestically, it's globally. Now, if you look at a two-day chart of 30-year, what you'll see is, you know, we're up a handful of basis points today. It has been the active part of the curve. Look at a one-month chart of 10s on top of 30s. You can see that 30s, a bigger range, shouldn't be shocking the longer maturity. But what's fascinating is look at that same one-month chart for 10-year boons, and you can see that it, like 30-year bonds, was pretty aggressive. It moved basically from minus 60 to minus 40. And that's because their stimulus is starting to get active, shared debt, corona bonds. Things are really starting to get historic uh, for the European Union. Look at what's going on with regard to their currency. Now, this is a one month of the euro versus the dollar. That is a wild May. Went from 108 to 111. And if you zoom it back, you can see these are two month plus highs going back to the 27th of March. Now those data points are hitting on market manufacturing PMI. Their May final comes in at 39.8, which mirrored their mid-month read, and that contrasts against the previous month, April's final, at 36.1 is the lowest read ever going back to 2017. So like many data points, uh, the worst level at least seems to be in the rearview mirror, but only by a small margin. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. Okay, Rick, we'll see you in a few moments for ISM Manufacturing. Check in with Bob Bassani on the other side of this break uh, as the market is uh, hanging on to just slight losses. Dow's down 52. Dow's down 33 uh, points to start the morning. Let's check in with our Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Hello, Carl. Uh, happy Monday, everybody. Flattish open, but still two to one advancing to declining stocks. The market is really struggling to understand how all the protests over the weekend might be impacting the reopening plans and on a broader level might be even impacting what's going on with uh, consumer confidence. Uh, Courtney was telling about retail here. You heard about Target, Walmart, Nike, all closing hundreds of stores or locations. Uh, Adidas is closing its U.S. stores. Amazon scaling back or adjusting uh, delivery. Uh, you see here modest impact here. Amazon uh, just uh, modestly on the upside here. Sectors, uh, banks tend to be doing a little bit better. They were outperformers last week. Even retail a little better uh, today. Consumer staples also up. Uh, energy's lagging, although oil is holding in there near its recent highs. Uh, healthcare lagging modestly as well. This follows a pretty good May for the global stock markets. I want to point out the uh, Eurozone, Japanese equities generally did pretty well here. China's near a 10-week high. Japan's near a 12-year high. Europe is just off down the last couple of days is just off a 10-week high, and the U.S. is sitting right near the highest levels since early March. So there's been a, a, a global rally uh, that's affected the overall market. The one thing I can assure you this weekend that I heard a lot about is more interest in investing in social justice and inclusiveness. This is what ESG is all about, folks. That's environmental, social, and governance issues. And that simply talks about impact on the environment, looks to investing in those levels, uh, social and relations with employees and customers and shareholders and stakeholders, and on governance issues, on leadership, on pay, on shareholder rights, and on inclusiveness. So a lot of what we were talking about over the weekend for investors fits very much in this little box called ESG. The, the problem has been, how do you quantify something like that? How do you actually weight those things? into a model. Here's one of the largest ESG funds, ETFs, that are out there. The symbol here uh, is, uh, is SUSL. This is an iShares product here. And you can see their heaviest, the largest products are largely mega cap stocks here. If you put that back up, Microsoft, Alphabet, Johnson & Johnson, Visa, Procter & Gamble, they tend to be very heavily weighted towards tech, 
underrepresented energy and some industrials uh, that have underperformed this year. Now, these funds have generally outperformed this year. That's because of the waiting on tech that has done well uh, during the stay at home thing. Uh, they've done well uh, on uh, contingency planning, uh, balance sheet issues uh, have helped. So it's hard figuring out exactly how to do this on just an issue of inclusiveness. ESG encompasses many, many issues that include aspects of social justice. So it's not easy to figure out, but I can assure you inflows are increasing in this and there's a lot more pressure on companies to acknowledge that as an issue in investing. We'll have Mona Nakvi on S&P's head of ESG on ETF Edge today, 105 Eastern Time. It's etfedge.cnbc.com. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob, it's a big topic. We'll see you a little bit later, our Bob Pisani. Take another quick break here. Obviously, uh, mild losses to start the morning. Dow's down just four-tenths of a percent. Uh, travel and banks uh, helping out as tech and industrials lag. Back in a minute. Some laggards to start the week. You see Pfizer's at the top there, down 7%. Barclays did cut its target. But also uh, some names related to retail, like Target, uh, Chips, Western Dig. Deer on some of this China trade news and Federal Express also in the red. We're back in just a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Astounding that three big firms downgrade Canopy today. That's Canopy Growth, CGC. This company reported a truly terrible quarter, and the aspect of it that most troubled me was that the revenues are going down. And they also had a giant impairment clause. Uh, there's a lot of people who feel that maybe Canada is slowing down. Now people are just saying, no, Canopy slowing down. And I see the desertion still has $2 billion in Canadian dollars. But wow, I mean, this is just a mass abandonment of the company that was considered to be the de facto winner because it had that relationship with Constellation Brands. Wow. I mean, where do we say about the story overall, Jim? Is it, is it over? I think that there are a lot of people who are saying, you know what, there may be there's some profitability here, but it'll never be big time. And uh, oh, there are other people saying, listen, without a, a Democrat in the White House and the Democrat in the House and Senate, uh, it'll never be big. But I, I do think that there's been some misunderstanding about the way these companies have to be valued. It, it's not taking off the way we thought it would. Some of the companies yeah, will tell you they're doing about, great. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, we, we had this discussion, uh, you, me, and David, last week. Yeah. Well, I never thought Canopy would be as bad. Afri is doing it's got some good numbers, and there's a couple companies that I regard as being uh, smaller under the radar. Uh, but the one thing that is astounding is that this company had the blessing and four billion Canadian dollars, and it fizzled a lot of it away, and it's got very good management now, but uh, there's just not the demand. They have, they have drinks. They have, uh, they have CBD drinks. They're trying to make THC drinks, yes, but I don't know. I'm going to try to get them on because it really it's is the, just astounding. The demand? Yeah, Jim, the there's not the demand? No. Why? Really? I mean, yeah. or is it just there's too much supply? <laughs> I mean, I, the demand wouldn't seem to. It's not as though the demand has declined, right? Well, that's what I want to know, whether it's really uh, their share is declining despite all of that capital. Because I always thought this was just a per se growth industry because it's got medical uh, and it's got, uh, I don't know, uh, recreational. How about that? Yeah. I thought that when you mentioned you have uh, Alta. Oh. I've got two companies, Carl, that I think really have a unique situation in terms of talking about the inner city. Uh, they're both companies that are deeply committed. Mary Dill has probably got more inner city stores and putting more people to work than almost any company I know when it comes to retail. And Brian Nichol Chipotle have long had, I'd say, the uh, higher moral high ground 
when it comes to what business should be doing. I want to know what they think, because this is the time where everybody has to be thinking. You know, what are we doing? Why weren't those other policemen indicted? Why? Why? why you know, other than when there's violence, why are we not just saying, you know, what are these people really telling us? And I think it's a huge wake up call. We got to address it. All of us. Can't. Yeah. Be, can't uh, Tim Cook's memo to employees. Right. Yeah. Uh, at this point, silence is no longer an option. Exactly. Uh, according to many leaders. Well, Dr. So, King told Jim, us we'll it see you tonight. OK, thank you. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.